down barriers and mindsets. Um, this, last week we thought about um, raising expectations and this week we're thinking about cultivating passion and hunger for God. And of course over our first couple of weeks um, following uh, my outline of our vision for 2019 we focused on that overview of the Bible thinking about the creation, about fall, about Israel, Jesus and the church. And uh, as, I, as I looked at uh, thinking about barriers and mindsets, you remember those five R's that I talked about, talking about recognize, recognize what the mindset is, and receive, receiving God's forgiveness, um, and then repenting from those mindsets, a turning and walking a different direction, and then rebuking those. So actually when, they, when those mindsets seek to arise again in our minds, actually telling them to be gone in the name of Jesus, and then replacing those mindsets with another mindset. So for example, if the mindset is um, that, uh, for example, no one loves me, it might be the mindset we need to replace with that is that God loves me unconditionally. Or maybe if our mindset is unforgiveness, that we replace it with a mindset of actually I'm going to forgive people, I'm going to pray for people that they uh, would be blessed. And uh, last week, Boz talked about raising expectations. And I don't know about you, but I'm always challenged by the Israelites as they come out of, uh, out of Egypt and as they come to the Red Sea. They've seen all these amazing things that God has done in their past. They've seen all these signs and wonders. And they come to the Red Sea and then they freak. And then they say, basically, I want to be back in slavery. It's, it's ridiculous, isn't it, when we talk about it here? But actually, I, I would imagine that many of us have that experience of God, that God has done a great work in us. We step forward into him, but then we come into this place where actually we think, well, maybe I'd rather be back where I was previously. And uh, next week, Anne Richardson is um, coming back for a Keeping in Touch Day, is going to be sharing with us and thinking uh, about what it is to develop humility and purity and so we're really grappling with some big issues here, okay? And some of you may feel like, well, we're really going through this very quickly. And I just want to say that actually what we're doing is we're breaking it down and we're getting the headlines out there. We're trying to establish some of these broad concepts and then we'll go into more detail as the year progresses. And specifically in a couple of weeks' time, we're going to be doing a series through Romans chapter 8, looking at the promises of God. And that particularly addresses mindsets because actually it's very easy to focus, isn't it, on the negative and perhaps the mindset that we have. But actually God wants to stir us and he wants us to acknowledge and realize the promises that he's given to us so that we can really claim those promises in our day-to-day lives. But I wanted to highlight this morning before I get into cultivating hunger and passion for God that I think as we explore... Um, as, 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 as we ex- explore this idea of promises... Oh, hello, Sam. <laughs> You're hungry, are you? Yeah? Um, as, as we kind of um, explore what it is to draw near to God, um, we need to think about life, okay? Because actually it's very easy to kind of enter into this place where we're seeking to do all these things, but we're seeking to do them in order for us to... Um, draw near to God, this idea that actually if we do X, Y, and Z, um, our relationship with God is going to be great. It's going to grow. It's going to develop. But actually, first and foremost, we need to understand that we are loved by God. And it's out of this place of loving God and knowing his love for us, then we can live out all that he's called us to live, okay? And so one of the key things within this is recognizing that God has called us to life, okay? Sometimes people's perceptions of the church is not that in that church is life, 
I hope in the uh, people's perception of St. James, there is a sense of life here. You guys look very much alive this morning, which is good news. Thumbs up. Uh, but actually, God wants to pour his life into our life so that we can exude, so we can ooze the life of Jesus in our day-to-day lives. Did you know that in John's Gospel, the word life is used at least 47 times? Okay, So John's Gospel is really keen to express the life that God has got in us. And if we read in the introduction to John's Gospel, John chapter 1 and verse 4, we read, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. In other words, this life is not just a cosy feeling, but actually this life that Jesus brings is the light for all people, for everyone, all of us. As we experience God's life, he shows us the way. Now, it's, it was really bright this morning. I don't know how many, how many people walked to church, but um, a few weeks ago, um, when I used to come to the 8 o'clock, um, uh, when I was coming to the 8 o'clock, it was dark. But this morning, it was light. And there's something, isn't there? When it's light, it's much easier. You feel safer. You know where you're going. You're less likely to trip over. And it's exactly the same with God. Actually, God lights up our way. We can see where we're going. And as I talked about under creation, as we were doing a tour through the Bible, I talked about, didn't I, how right at the center of God's creation was what? Was the tree of life. Right at the center of the Garden of Eden was the tree of life. God wants to give us life. question for us is, do we want to receive it? As I explained as well, next to the tree of life was the tree of the knowledge of wisdom, uh, of good and evil. And I think so often we can choose our own way, just as Adam and Eve chose, thinking, I want to live a life autonomous from God. Yeah, I'm going to take all the nice bits from God, but then I'm going to pursue my own way. I'm going to go in my own direction. But actually, God invites us into a journey that sits under his wisdom and his reality. You know, we live in a world, don't we, that is uh, becoming increasingly um, secularized and has very different views from biblical concepts and this idea actually if we pursue this way it may be fair-minded and this may be the right way but actually is it the way of God actually we experience fullness of life as we live under God's authority and his authority is not about crushing us or suppressing us but it's about giving us life and life in all its fullness God wants to restore life in us you know all of us Uh, We believe in the Bible, it talks about all have fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus Christ gives us his life. He comes, he invites us. Because of his death, he has substituted himself for our sin so that we may live life. And so this morning, as we think about cultivating passion and hunger for God, some of us might think about prayer meetings and kind of clasping our hands to the point where they're painful and squeezing our eyes and screwing up our face and thinking if I just have enough hunger I'll experience more of God but let me make it really clear that's not what I'm talking about I've actually hurt my finger though with my wedding ring Um, I'm not actually talking about that this morning what I'm talking about is cultivating this life and this growth in God that cultivates a life that is hungry for God not that just ticks by on a bit of extra spiritual nourishment on a Sunday but the day by day we're going deeper and we're growing and flourishing in our faith I think David in the Psalms expresses this so well if we read um, Psalm 42 it says as the deer pants for streams of living water so my heart pants for you David here is expressing something of his deep yearning 
for God. You know, just as a, a deer probably in a desert area is longing for that water from a stream, David expresses that's his heart to encounter and know God. And then Psalm 63, you are my God, David cries out, earnestly I seek you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Again, we get a sense of David's craving, his deep desire and longing. I wonder what is our longing and our hunger this morning? You know, we all know what it is to feel hungry, don't we? And we'll often go to the cupboard and get something to eat. Um, and uh, I get a slap riff for taking too many chocolate bars from the cupboard. Um, but, but, but actually, there's something spiritually here, isn't there, about um, actually saying, well, you know, God wants to stir our hearts deep within us that we are hungry for him. And if you're coming this morning, you're saying, well, actually, if I'm being really honest, I don't really feel that hungry for God. Well, well done for being really honest. And I want to say to you this morning that God wants to stir you this morning. Sometimes the first prayer of hungering for God is not, Lord, oh, I long for you. But it's saying, God, I want to want you. I want to have that hunger. I want to have that desire to press more into you. And so this morning, I hope that the message um, stirs us. I hope for those of us who are hungry that we can actually take a step forward today. And I'm actually going to um, have an invitation at the end to actually invite people right to the front, those who are feeling actually they believe God is really stirring something in them. And I want to encourage you to take that bold step today to really be prayed for um, and stirred up. But also for those of us here this morning who perhaps aren't feeling that hungry, just to say, God, please stir something new in my heart. Because actually as God stirs a hunger, then we draw near to him. It becomes more natural. And so as we look at the life of Moses, this is one of the things that I believe he really had. He had a hunger for God. He had a passion to know God more deeply and to grow in him. And so there's some some key points here I want to bring to us. Um, They're going to come up on the screen. And the first thing that I want to talk about, and some of these are very practical. Some of them are hopefully a bit more inspirational. But I hope you've got something that you can take away. You know, thinking back to those next steps we talked about, perhaps just think about one thing that you can take away today. And the first thing I want to say is find a place to regularly meet with God. Find a place to regularly meet with God. Exodus 33, 7 to 10 says this. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. You know, Moses had a specific place where he would go and meet with God. And all the Israelites knew about it. They knew about it because they saw his tent that was pitched. And I wonder for us, do we have a place where we meet with God? Do we have a place that we can say, you know, that's my tent of meeting? I want to suggest to us, um, this isn't mandatory in the... uh, in the Christian life, but can I just say it's so helpful, I believe, to have a physical place where we can go to encounter God's presence. And uh, it just got me to reflect a bit, actually, on my own life. And uh, you've probably heard me share this before, but uh, for me, that physical place is is the park. That's one of them for me, that I walk around the park and I um, I, 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 I encounter God's presence. And it doesn't mean that I don't get distracted sometimes. Of course I do. But there's that sense of saying, God, this is the place where I now want to meet with you. Also, I have a chair in my study that I often sit on to read the scriptures. And again, it's just a place where I sit. It's not my, my desk chair. It's just a, a comfy seat that I sit on and uh, just read the scriptures uh, in, my, in my study each day. 
And uh, as I reflected, I just, I just thought, actually, yeah, every place I've lived, there's been somewhere. You know, sometimes it's been walking around an estate because I wasn't near to a park, or sometimes it's been walking um, through some woods or around a field. In a sense, it doesn't really matter where it is, but there's been a place where I've been able to meet with God. And so I thought this morning, just uh, very quickly, I wanted to distill what it was that was significant about the place that Moses met with God, okay? What was it that helped Moses connect with God? What was it about the tent of meeting? Well, there are three things I want to say. The first one is, it was away from other people. It was away from other people. You know, some of us are more social beings than others. Some of us introverts, some of us extroverts. But whatever our, our personality, it's really good to have a space that is away from other people, that we can deliberately go and meet with God. Interestingly, um, the, the tent of meeting is separate from the, uh, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the, the, the light the te- that became the temple. Um, but the, ta- ta- the tent of meeting was separate from the daily routines of life. It was somewhere where Moses could go and encounter God. It was away from other people. The second thing we can say, it was, it was free from distractions. I hadn't realized this until I prepared this sermon, that the tent of meeting probably had nothing in it. Okay, So the tabernacle would have had the ark and the different chambers, but we think the tent of meeting had nothing in it apart from God's presence. I say apart from God's presence. God's presence is pretty awesome, pretty amazing. Um, but, but there was nothing extra in there, nothing to distract and I just love this principle of Moses going to this place where there was nothing other than God. And it's so easy, isn't it, even when we're trying to meet with God, to substitute with other things, to bring other things into the mix. But actually, God wants us to find a place that we can just encounter him with no distractions. And then thirdly, <clears throat> the tent of meeting was designated as a meeting place by its very name. That's obvious, isn't it? It was a place for Moses to go and meet with God. And so can I encourage us to find a meeting place, a place where we can regularly simply go and meet with God, wherever that may be. It, and it may be a, a physical, physical, physical place or it may be a space in our day. You know, I know some people find it helpful to meet with God um, as they drive to work. And so just really encourage us to think about how we can find that place to encounter God. It may be a chair in your house, it may be a park, it may be a field, it may be a walking route, it may be a park bench. It doesn't really matter what it is, but let's find that place to meet with God. Secondly, um, Moses uh, pursued intimacy with God. Moses pursued intimacy with God. Um, In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, we read, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And I just love this phrase, you know, that, uh, that God would meet with Moses in this way, that he would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Now, um, it's worth qualifying what, uh, what it meant for the Lord to speak to face to face with Moses as a man speaks with his friend. Um, this phrasing of God speaking with Moses face to face is an idiom. It's it's a metaphor. It's a picture for us. It's a bit like um, if one of you after the service came up to me and said, "Oh, Josh, can I just bend your ear about something?" I wouldn't expect you to. I hope you wouldn't do this. I wouldn't expect you to grab my ear and start bending it over 
And I have to say, if you did start doing that, I've got a church warden, which is kind of like a church bodyguard who might come and uh, take you out. You'd do that for me, Tim, wouldn't you? Yeah, that's good. I've got another. there. Um, but, but that's not what you'd mean, is it? If you said, I want to bend your ear about something, what you would mean by that is I want to talk to you about something. And it's the same here, that actually the meaning here is not literally that God is speaking face-to-face um, uh, w- with Moses. He's speaking face-to-face as a friend would talk with his friend. The word as is used in there. There's this sense of it being a picture. And just to kind of reinforce this for a couple of reasons. One is um, that uh, later in the passage, if we read in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20, we read, but he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. And so if it was literally see your face, there would be a contradiction here. Because on the one hand, um, it's saying that you can do this. But on the other hand, it's then saying you can't. If you do, then you would die. And Moses wouldn't be alive by this point because it's retrospective. It's talking about what Moses has done in the past. And so, so give us a bit more of an idea of what it actually means. If we read Numbers chapter 12 and verse 8, we read this. With him, this is God speaking about Moses. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. And so the point here that is being made is actually that God's connection with Moses is clear. It's outward. It's not spoken in riddles, not in ways that are difficult to understand. There's a sense of friendship here. And then it goes on to say, as well as with him I speak face to face, clearly not in riddles. riddles. He sees the form of God. And so it qualifies what Moses actually does see. He doesn't see him face to face, literally, but he sees the form of God. And so face-to-face here means what? It means an openness. It means an unguardedness. It means a sense of discussion. There's a sense of intimacy in the way that God interacts with Moses. And so I want to encourage us this morning that, you know, those spaces that we create to connect with God, it's not about ticking a shopping list. It's not about saying, well, yeah, I've done my spiritual bit for the week. I've gone to church. Brilliant. Or yeah, I've read, uh, read those three chapters of the Bible this morning. Yeah, I'm getting through my year in, uh, Bible in a year. But it's actually about this heart connection with God. You know, I'm sure we've all had those moments where we really encounter God. Um, last week we had uh, the session with the, the worship uh, teams and PA operators. I had a great time with those. And uh, by the way, if you didn't come along and you want to come along to the next one, please do. We'll advertise the next one coming up. It was a really good time together. And uh, I invited people just to share, you know, what was a significant moment for you in worship? And lots of people shared times where they'd really encountered God in worship. God wants to touch our hearts. He wants to meet us and he wants us to experience his intimacy. Okay, so we've had uh, find a place to regularly meet with God, pursue intimacy with God. Thirdly, we move on, express complete dependence on God. Express complete dependence on God. Now, the context in this passage in uh, Exodus 33 is that the people of God have decided to make themselves a golden calf that they're worshipping. And so Moses has gone to get the law. He comes down off the mountain, and there they are, all worshipping a golden calf. Can you imagine how Moses would have felt after just getting the Ten Commandments? And they're all engaging idolatry. They're worshipping something other than Yahweh. And uh, God is basically thinking about, well, do I really want to have anything to do with these people if they're going to worship a golden calf? And Moses persuades him and says, you know, God, actually, if you don't come with us, what are we? We're nothing. And then we pick up the conversation in chapter 33 and verse 14. And God says to Moses, 
my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses um, goes on to say to, to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. And I love this utter dependence that Moses has on God. He basically says, I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm not going to do anything unless your presence goes with me. And I know in my life there have been times where I've actually felt, you know, God, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this unless you're in this. And it may be something really exciting or maybe something I'm, um, that, that I'm not really anticipating with excitement, whatever it may be. But that sense of saying, God, I want to depend on you. But I know in my heart that I need to grow in that dependence. I need to say, God, actually, God, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to step out in this unless you're in this. And I want to encourage, actually, that as we uh, express that dependency, that in itself grows a hunger in us because it shows that we're not willing to depend on our own abilities, our own resources, our own relationships, but we are solely dependent on the presence of God. And so what does it mean for you? What does it mean for you to really learn that sense of dependency? Well, I think for Moses, this dependency had been developed in the desert, you know, when he had to flee from Egypt after he'd murdered the Egyptian. Um, But also as he led the people of Israel, you know, that they all started moaning at him and he had to learn what it was to depend on God, not on his his own resources or what other people thought of him, but he had to depend on God alone. And so firstly, find a place to regularly meet with God. Secondly, pursue intimacy with God. Thirdly, express complete dependence on God. Fourthly, and I think my favorite is, ask for more. Ask for more. Do we ask God for more? Are we hungry for more? Are we just happy with our lives? You know, the reality is probably most of us here live pretty comfortable lives. You know, we'll have, we'll have challenges, but in, in the spectrum of, of life, if we look across the globe, we have uh, reasonable comfort. And with that comes the danger that it's very easy simply to settle for what we've got. But God actually wants to stir us. He wants to stir us for more. He wants to say that I've got so much for you. And Moses expresses this so wonderfully, doesn't he? In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18, he says, Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. Now show me your glory. And Moses expresses two things here. He expresses both boldness. He comes to God and says, show me your glory. But he also expresses vulnerability. Do you remember um, earlier in the, in the passage when we were looking at um, Moses at the burning bush and there was this, this focus of Moses coming before God and asking God to help him and there was a sense of vulnerability that, that, that uh, Moses needed a sign to reinforce what he was saying. And it's exactly the same with, um, with, with Moses here, that I think he's wanting God to reinforce the call that he's given him. And I think it's a bit like, um, he comes, please, sir, can I have some more? There's a sense of boldness there, isn't there? I mean, as you, as you hear that in the play or, or watch the film, 
there's this sense, oh my goodness, what is he doing? You can just feel what's going to be the reaction. But there's a sense of boldness, but there's also a sense of vulnerability there. And I think that kind of gives a good picture of, 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 of Moses, although the reverse is the case in the, in the sense of the response. So obviously for Oliver Twist, it's a, an evil response, isn't it? But in God's case, God responds with so much grace and so much love. It's an amazing response. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 19, it says, And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. So, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. Now, do we remember back to creation? What was it that uh, God said when he looked at all his creation? What did he say about his creation? He said it was good, didn't he? And so the creator is good, and his creation is good. But what is more amazing, to see the creation of the one who's good or to see the one who's good himself? Well, of course, both are amazing. I mean, God's creation is absolutely amazing. As we go out and see God's creation, it evokes a response of worship. But how much more, even more amazing, is seeing the goodness of God? And God says to Moses here, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I just think that's flabbergasting. If you actually get your head around what's being said there. I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And this is exactly what God did. And we read about that in just a moment. But just incidentally, um, where is it that God's uh, goodness passes? He passes in a cleft of a rock. Now, I don't know if any of you can think of another place in scripture where it talks about a cave or a cleft in the rock where God encounters someone so powerfully. Well, it's Elijah. You know, I'm not in the thunder, I'm not in the lightning, I'm not in the earthquake, but I'm in the still small voice. And some commentators think that actually it could even be exactly the same cave. We don't know that for a fact, but it'd be pretty amazing if it was. It's on a similar mountain, same mountain. And, uh, but God's presence passes by. And we read in Exodus chapter 34, verse 5, Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, and he passed in front of Moses. So um, if we're going to grow, if we're going to draw near, we want to find a place to regularly meet with God. We want to pursue intimacy with God. We want to express complete dependence on God. We want to ask more. Fifthly and finally, we want to shine God's glory. Okay, If we're going to grow in our hunger and passion for God, not only do we want to receive what God has given to us, but we want to express and allow it to overspill from us to others. We read in Exodus in the next chapter, which we didn't have read, Exodus chapter 34 and verse 29, where Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the Testament in his hands. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. And such was this radiance we read on. You know, so, so we get this picture of, of Moses coming down from the cleft of the rock. His face is shining. Then we read on in verses 33 to 35. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face 
until he went in to speak with the Lord. And the sense is here that the brilliance of God's glory from his face is so great that the Israelites ask him to put a veil over. Um, But then there's a reinterpretation of this in the New Testament. If we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, there's this picture that actually this isn't simply about him being blinding. It's also about the Israelites not being able to take it. It's just in some senses too overwhelming. There's something too overwhelming and they're not able to receive. But then in 2 Corinthians under the new covenant, we have this reinterpretation, this wonderful um, understanding of what this means for us today. And we read in 2 Corinthians 3.18, you can read the rest of the chapter before to understand a bit of context when you go home if you want. Um, But in this verse it says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know, the fact is, under the old covenant, there were special individuals who were overwhelmed with God's presence. And as they were overwhelmed with God's presence, they brought God's presence to others. But that's all broken down. In the new covenant, it's all of us, All of us can be filled with the Spirit. All of us can experience God's glory. And as we experience that glory, we are transformed and we radiate the glory of God to those around us. And so this morning, I really believe that God wants to stir us up, that he doesn't want us just to kind of have that nice, comfortable life where we do what we do. And I I don't want to gloss over that. I know many of us have big challenges and difficulties in our lives, and I'm not glossing over that. But I'm just saying that God wants to stir something up deep within our guts, deep within our souls to say, there is so much more. You've only experienced the tip of the iceberg. And so the question then for us is, are we going to draw near? Are we going to draw near maybe by saying, yes, God, I'm so up for this. I'm so up for this. I'm going to press in more and I'm going to seek you and I'm going to know you more. Or maybe the next step for us as we draw near is to say, you know, God, I'm not feeling that hungry this morning, but there's something I sense here that I know that I need to seek more. I know that you've got more for me. I'm not hungry, but I want to be hungry. And again, that may be for you that you need to respond to that as well.